Hello again, listeners, and welcome to the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast in conversation with I'm Hugh Thomas, the Deputy Editor. In this episode, we're discussing an article that appears on our April 2022 issue reporting on a phase four open-label single-arm trial of a minimal monitoring approach for the treatment of hepatitis C virus infection. Joining me to discuss the paper is the lead author, Dr. Sunil Solomon, who is an Associate Professor of Medicine at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Solomon, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on here. Uh, so we know that obviously there are major global efforts underway to eliminate viral hepatitis as a public health threat by 2030. And a key component of these efforts, is, certainly for eliminating hepatitis C, is ensuring that everyone who wants it and, and needs it can access and receive and complete treatment courses. What are the major barriers that are standing in the way of, of global HCV treatment scale up and, and getting everyone that access? So I think as most of you are aware, there are about 58 million people who are chronically infected with hepatitis C globally. And over the past decade, there really has been this evolution in hepatitis C treatment where we've gone from inject multiple injections and multiple tablets a day to one tablet once a day. And in 12 weeks, we are achieving 95% SVR or even higher, like sustained virologic response. But yet there are only 11 out of 45 high-income countries that are on track to reach that WHO elimination target for hepatitis, and it's only two low- and middle-income countries. It's almost 80% of the people living with chronic hepatitis C globally live in low- and middle-income countries. And cost of of therapy and access to therapy and access to diagnostics, so those have been like the three of the largest barriers in improving uptake of therapy and actually moving that needle towards uh, hepatitis elimination globally. So one thing that has happened is generic directly acting antivirals, which really has reduced the cost of DAAs in low and middle income countries. But the cost of diagnostics and even access to diagnostics, for example, HCV genotyping, which is recommended in many countries, is not really available. And in many of these countries, the cost of diagnostics, just that genotype and that HCV RNA, is way more expensive than the cost of generic DAAs itself, right? So that is coupled today because of COVID with an overburdened healthcare infrastructure where there are restrictions, people don't know when to go, where to go, how to go. And then you're adding another disease on top of that and trying to figure out how do we actually deliver the service. So we really need that simplified guidelines, minimize the the requirement for in-person visits, minimize the number of diagnostic tests, bring down the cost of everything. And that's the only way we're actually going to make progress towards that WHO's ambitious elimination targets. Okay, sure. So that really leads us quite neatly onto uh, your trial that you're going to talk about. Uh, Are you able to just quickly introduce it for us and, and summarize the key design features? Sure. So the ACTG 5360, ACTG is the AIDS Clinical Trials Group, which is a network of sites globally and is funded by the National Institutes of Health in the United States. So they are a network of sites globally, and 5360 is the protocol that looked at a simplified way of delivering hepatitis C therapy globally. We call it the MinMon approach or the minimal monitoring approach. So it was an open-label phase four trial uh, it was in four different con- continents. So it was South America, United States, Africa, and in Asia. So we had sites across all these different countries. We enrolled 400 participants into this trial. 
the way we designed this trial was really capitalizing on lessons learned from HIV, but also on uh, advances in hepatitis C therapy. So the MinMon intervention essentially encompassed four uh, components. The first one was no pretreatment genotyping. The second one was no on-treatment planned clinical or laboratory monitoring visits. The third one was we dispensed the entire course of treatment. So three bottles of 28 tablets of sofosphere and valparasvir to all participants at entry. And then the fourth one was two remote touch points, one at week four and one more at week 22. The rationale behind these four interventions or these four strategies that the four components of MinMon really were, we are in the age of pan-genotypic regimens. So what is the need for that pre-treatment genotype? We also know that the treatments today are extremely safe, extremely efficacious. We no longer do any response-guided therapy. So what is that point of that on-treatment monitoring visits or on-treatment clinical visits? So we got rid of that. The third thing is completely borrowing from HIV, where we dispense three months or six months of medication at one point in time, versus for hepatitis C, where it's monthly dispensation. And when you go to many low-middle-income countries, it may be weekly or bi-monthly, like every two weeks being dispensed. And it is that additional burden. And then the fourth thing was, while we were comfortable giving medicines and everything all at entry, we still wanted to have some kind of contact. And so we had these remote touch points. So again, so this trial was designed pre-pandemic, but I think if you were designing something today, like those remote touch points have pretty much become standard of care. So those were the four um, criteria for the MinMon trial. So what we did was we started all these 400 participants on sofosphere and Valparasvir, which is one tablet once daily with or without food. Uh, all of them were followed for un- until we could measure their SVR, which was at least 12 weeks or 22 weeks from the time they were initiated on therapy. And we quantified um, SVR, which was, de- which was defined as your HCV RNA, lower than the lower limit of quantification, at least 22 weeks after you entered the trial. So that would be at least 10 weeks after completion of treatment. We also looked at safety endpoints, which is like serious adverse events and adverse events and unplanned uh, clinical visits. Fantastic. So what were the key findings then? So I think the, a couple of things to highlight before we jump into the key findings. is So we really did end up with this global population. About 66% of our participants were from Brazil, Uganda, South Africa, and Thailand. We saw all genotypes one through seven, though genotype one was the predominant population. We also saw a significant amount of genotype three, about a third of the, of the population were uh, biological women uh, who were included in the trial. We had about 14% who had active substance use and about 42% were co-infected with HIV infection. So I think despite this really heterogeneous population, our overall SVR was 95%, right? And the and the confidence interval for this SVR was about the 92% threshold, which we set up when we calculated sample size. And we said that if that confidence interval included 92%, then we would say this MinMon strategy isn't really efficacious. Because we said 95%, not, you cannot be lower than 92 was, was the tre- threshold in the way we calculated the sample size. But I think what was also striking was Almost every subgroup, the 95% confidence interval included that 95% SVR. I think the only group where we did not see that was in um, 
participants in that age group of 20 to 29, where their SVR was lower than that 95% threshold we had established for the confidence interval. From a safety standpoint, there were only 14 participants who had serious adverse events, but none of these events were really related to um, study medication. None of them resulted in treatment discontinuation and none of them resulted in death. So it really was a safe strategy. There were a couple of adverse events and I think five of those adverse events were associated with um, the treatment itself. It was like headache and abdominal distension, nausea. Those were the common adverse events, so nothing really serious. And one of these adverse events, which was an abdominal distension, resulted in treatment discontinuation. So we did have a fair amount of unplanned visits, about 30 unplanned visits, but most of these visits were because of abnormal labs that were identified at baseline. For example, there was one participant with an abnormal sodium, so they had to repeat that, that visit. And there was someone else with an abnormal hemoglobin level who was already an individual with a history of anemia, pernicious anemia, who had to come back in for repeat visits. So it really was an efficacious approach that ended up being extremely safe as well at the same point in time. And it worked across countries, across populations, across HIV, Hep C co-infection versus Hep C mono infection. So it really did set that stage that treatment for hepatitis C can really be that simple. Certainly. So, and and what do these positive results for a minimal monitoring approach uh, really mean for the hepatitis C field then? So I think the important thing to look at is the distribution of um, the hepatitis C infected people globally. Right, so almost 90% of people living with hepatitis C globally are non-serotic. Right, so in these populations, a min-mon strategy coupled with, like, so I think the first step is to really come up with some innovative case-finding strategies where you actually identify these people. But once you find people living with hepatitis C uh, chronic infection globally who don't have evidence of decompensated cirrhosis, the min-mon strategy really will help move that needle towards elimination. Because you can find these people, give them the 84 tablets and say, we'll see you in six months. Do that remote contact at week four, check in, make sure they're taking their medications. And you really have like this option to cure hepatitis C with minimal utilization of human resources and minimal requirements from participants or patients to actually come back into the clinic. Because I think you and I, like, if we have to go to a clinic every day, we're probably not going to go. Even monthly visits, we think twice, like, do I really have to go every month? Why couldn't I have just done it like once every three months or once every six months? And we're also moving to a generation where people are getting more and more used to things coming to them rather than going to places. And I think COVID has just accentuated that. And I think this Minmon really does fit that model beautifully because after that initial touch point, you could pretty much deliver the entire intervention remotely and with newer ways of collecting samples, that SVR sample could also be done remotely. There's no need to come back in for that SVR sample. But I think what is important to also distinguish is the cure of HCV versus liver disease itself. So in cirrhotics, I think there still is that important need to keep monitoring to make sure that your liver um, cirrhosis isn't progressing or getting worse. So I think that is something that you'd need to monitor. But in non-cirrhotics, I think once you cure them, what is important is to just monitor for reinfection, especially if they have risk. But besides that, I think you really have an opportunity and a strategy here, which for the first time could give us an opportunity to eliminate 
an infectious disease without a vaccine. It still is a, fa- a long way off, but I think we are definitely closer to that with um, data from Minmon and other trials showing that you really can simplify treatment and there's no need to make things more complicated than they need to be. Fantastic. Uh, it's, it's good to have a nice positive message coming from this trial, given the concerns about our progress for uh, eliminating viral hepatitis by 2030. Uh, and in terms of future research, what do you really think uh, should be done to build on these findings then? So I think a couple of things can be done. So I think the group that I mentioned, the, the 20 to 29 year olds, so we didn't see an SVR as high as we would have liked to see in this population. The other group, we did not have enough representation where active um, people who inject drugs, who are actively injecting. I think these are two groups where we need to look at how do we simplify treatment. So I think some of these strategies will work. I don't think there is a need to do the pre-treatment genotyping anymore, whether you're a person who injects drugs or if you're young, like you don't need to do that. But you may need more frequent remote touch points, for example, uh, especially with younger adults. Uh, You could do a lot through phones and apps because this generation really is on that cell phone. And so trying to capitalize upon that to, to provide more motivational interviewing or counseling to take medications. So that's something that can be done. And similarly, with people who inject drugs, you may not be able to dispense the entire 84 tablets. I'm not saying it can't be done. I think it's, it's something that we need to evaluate is can we dispense the entire 84 tablets of software for this population and see if they can achieve SVR as well. It's about getting rid of barriers. Uh, that being said, I think the one other thing would, that would be critical is one of those point of care rapid diagnostic tests that could tell you if you're chronically infected or not. Because in this trial, we still needed to confirm that active HCV RNA infection. But if you could go out into the field or go to a a pharmacist, right, and pick up one of those lateral flow assays like a rapid HIV test and go back home and it can tell you, yes, you're chronically infected. Like you could use the core antigen or one of those other um, markers of hepatitis C infection. If you could actually figure out, yes, I'm chronically infected and I need treatment, that gets rid of that additional barrier of actually requiring an HCV RNA test. So I think from a diagnostic standpoint, that's where we would need to go. And from a clinical and a a service delivery standpoint, looking more closely at uh, younger adults and people with active substance use of the two populations, I think we should try and build this research on to see how does it really fit into those two groups. Fantastic. Well, uh, Dr. Solomon, thank you very much for leaving us with those thoughts and uh, summarizing your important trial. You can read the paper online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Dr. Solomon, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast, In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With wherever you usually get your podcasts.